We are back on Trojan Talk. I'm Ryan Young, joined by Max Brown, the former USC quarterback, the Trojans analyst, our Trojansports.com analyst. Uh, by now, you should know all this because you've been listening all season. We do two podcasts a week. Uh, we had a great podcast on Tuesday. If you missed that one, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it. Um, Max and I debated our top five USC players at this point in the season, the five guys we thought needed to step up the most. But the best part was the end when, when Max gave his thoughts on the, <laughs> on the California uh, Fair Pay to Play Act and, and really opened my eyes to some elements of it that I hadn't fully considered. And I think it will probably have the same effect on a lot of people listening. Uh, if you haven't thought about it too deeply, if you have questions about how this really impacts athletes, Max spelled it out pretty clearly with some great examples from his time at USC, how, how it would have come into play. So go back and listen to that. Max, how are you today? I'm great, Ryan. How you doing, man? That was uh, that was a fun podcast. Uh, what was that? Yeah, Monday uh, Monday night, Tuesday morning. That was that was good stuff. It was, and and, and we didn't even get into the the matchup at all. The, the USC Notre Dame matchup. That's what we say for this podcast. So we're going to go heavy on that today. Love it. And uh, the, the reason we have Max involved in this capacity this year is just because he's he's still good at, about breaking these games down, breaking down matchups. So we're going to have him really lay out how he sees this matchup from both sides. But first, as we're all getting accustomed to at this point. There's always some big news that develops during the week that is off the field, unrelated. Uh, this one's a positive development. And if you, if you missed it, I reported on Trojansports.com on Thursday morning that there is now a path for USC to formally reconnect with Reggie Bush as soon as this summer. June 2020. And where this is coming from is I had an interview with interim AD Dave Roberts on Wednesday. And the interview was mostly about, you know, his his role as interim AD, what he's able to do, what he's not going to be involved in, uh, a.k.a. deciding Clay Helton's future, uh, where the AD process stands, <laughs> his his evaluation of the athletic department. That was that was the gist of the interview, but I knew I wanted to ask Dave about the Reggie Bush matter because not only is he USC's interim AD and was their VP of compliance for seven years, but he also sits on the NCAA's Committee on Infractions and is the vice chair of that committee. And so if anyone uh, could speak from both sides of the, of the Bush matter, it's him. I didn't know what he would say, but he actually he actually answered the question and and said, well, as a matter of fact, uh, the committee on infractions a, a while ago amended kind of the, the statutes and policies on on disassociations. Um, I, I should lay the groundwork for those who don't know. After the four-year investigation uh, into football program and Reggie Bush receiving impermissible benefits, his family receiving benefits while he was a player here through an agency. Uh, everyone knows that there were stiff sanctions and penalties handed down, you know, probation, scholarship loss, et cetera, et cetera, Bush giving his Heisman back. But one of those was at the time a permanent disassociation between the university and one of its all-time most popular players. And that story came to light last month when Bush was in the Coliseum for the first time in forever uh, in his capacity as a Fox Sports analyst. And anyways, uh, the Committee on Infractions changed all disassociations across the board nationally, anyone who else is in that situation, to 10-year 
penalties, 10-year disassociations. And Bush's was handed down in 2010, comes up in June of 2020. And at that point, the NCAA pro- provides no obstacle to USC uh, if they want to have Reggie Bush back in the program, if they want to display his his jersey on campus. That all can change at that point. Now, it doesn't mean it instantly happens. The university has to has to it's still a delicate matter they have to decide how they want to proceed uh reggie bush has to decide how he feels about everything but the point of the story is that there's an opening there that no one knew about until now now those internally have known about it and usc has been very careful uh they want to do everything right in this process they don't want to do anything to jeopardize getting to that point at some point that's that's why it was a very delicate situation when Bush was in the Coliseum for the Utah game. They were just extra careful to make sure that no lines were crossed, nothing would raise any flags. And so that's why this has not been talked about publicly or come to light. Dave Roberts happened to decide it was a good time to answer the question and tell me that, and now it's out there. Now we all know that by the summer of 2020, this coming summer, USC can start that process, if it chooses to, of trying to bring back one of its most uh, popular players into the fold. That was a lot of rambling for me. Max, I want to get your take as a former player. I know you, you came after Reggie Bush, but but how does that news hit you just up front? Yeah, and that was that, you laid it out well. Uh, I don't think I was rambling at all. That was, that, was, that was good detail. I think for me, the first thing that comes to mind is if you're USC, I mean, the whole reinstating of Reggie Bush seems like a, a very easy decision come next summer. I mean, it feels like it. the, the, the biggest hurdle has been the NCAA and the fact that there's really no, in terms of, I mean, as I, I'm, I'm thinking through my words right here, but there really is no specific hurdle between USC and Reggie Bush. It's always kind of been the NCAA and the sanctions that like kind of this, the, the, the NCAA has put down on, on SC. So to me, it, I just kind of now I'm thinking, okay, if they're going to let uh, Reggie kind of get back into the the mix of uh, of being a prized USC alum, kind of how does that play out? And maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I mean, it's a, it's a special deal. I mean, he's a special player. I know for me, um, I mean, he's what I grew up watching in terms of college football. I'm, I'm still amazed when players right now kind of say, oh, I remember watching Reggie Bush because I'm thinking I was a little guy and I'm a few years removed now. So if they remember, I mean, I'm not – I'm not so sure about that. It's, it's been a little while, but um, such a special player, such a big part of the program. And, I mean, you're talking about, like, at SC, obviously. I mean, number five, you're talking about, like, a retired number. No one's touched it since. And, and for right reason, I think uh, his legacy is so strong that no one wanted to mess with that. But, I mean, I'm hoping there's another jersey in the, in the end zone, in, in, the, in the peristyle, number five. I think he deserves that. I think he's a classy guy. And, uh, yeah, to me, I, I think just the next question is, like, how does this play out when we talk – kind of May, June, July of this upcoming year. How does it play out? That's what's interesting to me. Yeah, I, I think that's the sentiment of, of most fans. I, I, haven't, I haven't heard a conflicting sentiment. I think at this point, while those sanctions definitely had a major impact on the program and, and he was at the fulcrum of it, I, I think people look back fondly on what he did on the field for this program and, and taking it to the, to the pinnacle of college football and the only comments I hear from fans about Reggie Bush is they want him back and that this penalty has been too harsh and that it's long past due. Now, again, uh, USC didn't come out and make this announcement themselves because they're treading lightly. They don't know how it's going to play out or they, they don't want to upset ruffling any feathers with the NCAA, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why you're not going to hear them talking about it much more. 
Dave Roberts happened to answer my question, and he made it clear it's going to be up to the president and the new athletic director, whoever's hired, to make those decisions. And, of course, USC has a new president in place in Carol Fultz that's not have an AD yet. So it's going to be determined by them uh, when that time comes. And it's just now we know it's possible. It, it could be – very, and I hate being a media member that kind of goes down this path when we're midseason, but in the event that if things were to go south, the amount of headlines that could be kind of around the team next year, week one, is ridiculous. I mean, you talk about if you had the whole Reggie storyline, if you had the thought of a new coach, and you had the thought of like the Alabama Crimson Tide next week one of next year. I mean, USC always has big headlines. And I hate to get ahead of myself because that's just bad ball. There's a lot of, lot, of, lot, of, lot of season left, but that could be a uh, very interesting time and an eventful time for someone like yourself, Ryan, as a media member. Yeah, no, there's no question. It's, 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 it's going to be talked about even if the university would like to just wait until next summer before it becomes a, a talking point. Now that it's out there, it's going to be talked about. And for the point you mentioned, you, you mentioned that – the stature Reggie Bush held for you growing up as a football player, even though uh, you were young when he was putting up his highlights. I, I told this story when we talked about it a few weeks ago after that Utah game that it astounds me how often I talk to current recruits, 2020 recruits, or 2019 guys last year, and I ask, you know, what interests you about USC? And they go, oh, I, I grew up I grew up watching Reggie Bush highlights. and and. That's my guy. I'm like, wow, you were like barely even on this earth yeah. at that point. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. How did you score this interview? This is a big time interview. Yeah, I, I had requested to talk to Dave Roberts pretty much a, few, a couple days after Lynn Swan resigned back in September. And it just kind of sat there. And uh, myself and the LA Times were the, the two outlets that had put that request in. So this week, we, we both got 15-minute one-on-one sit-downs with, with Dave Roberts, and I certainly didn't think the Reggie Bush question was going to lead to anything. I just – it was an opportunity to ask it, so I wanted to ask it. And it was, a la- yeah. it was the last thing I got into with him. I, we had you know a 15-minute talk before that, and I, I said, I'll get one more topic for you. And we got into it, and I was – in the moment, I was like, wow, this is going to catch some interest from people. Yeah, no doubt. I mean – <laughs> You'd think that every media outlet would uh, would want to submit that request, but I guess not. Yeah, no, it's uh, – I know Dave, during my time at SC, uh, you mentioned he was, like, compliance director. That's that's where he was when I was there. Great guy. It doesn't surprise me that that was a uh, was a uh, interview with some substance. He's uh, he's class act for sure. Yeah, he was, he was really interesting uh, altogether, all and we have three – well, we have – yeah, we have three stories up on the site off that interview, and I would encourage anyone who's not subscribed to TrojanSports.com there's never been an easier time to do it. We have a, a free trial going right now. You get a free trial through December 7th, through the Pac-12 championship game. So you can basically get on, get full premium access with no commitment for the rest of the season. And even if you just want to go on and read the Reggie Bush story, just just use it for that. You know, Our thought is that you're going to like what you see and you're going to want to stay. That's why we do free trials. But uh, if you want to use it just to read the Reggie Bush story, go for it. It's... Um, Promo code free USC. Free USC. We have information all over the homepage about how to activate that. And I would remind people this you know, the story gained a lot of traction early Thursday when it was posted. Only the top section and, and Dave Roberts' first comment 
were kind of out there for everyone. The rest of the stories was behind the paywall for our subscribers because we, we like, you know, we we're grateful for the people who subscribe to our site and, and keep us going. And so we kind of saved the meat for them. And there was a lot more to the story that I think a lot of people didn't see because I just read the first few paragraphs, saw the first quote, and uh, started reacting to the news. But, but there was some more depth in there uh, with Dave Roberts talking about the process and, and what's to come. So I would encourage you to read the full story, which you can do easily by just taking advantage of the free trial, going on Trojansports.com and reading it. With that, let's talk some football, Max. How's that sound? Let's do it. Let's do it. Love it. This is uh, this is this is a really interesting game. USC goes on the road to number nine slash ten. Notre Dame, the annual rivalry game, uh, is in South Bend this year, and there's so much at stake. Now, obviously, whatever happens Saturday night does not impact USC's path to the Pac-12 championship. They still control their destiny uh, and have the. The only tiebreaker they need so far in the Pac-12 South with the win over Utah, they play the rest of the South teams still to come. So they're in total control of what happens with their fate. They have, they have the one conference loss to Washington, but if, if they went out their schedule, there's no one else that would have a tiebreaker over them in the South. So this game does not impact that at all. But when it comes time for whomever to take stock of Clay Helton's tenure and whether it continues – I think this game is going to play a large role in that. And another story we have on the site with Dave Roberts was him making clear that he doesn't envision himself factoring into that decision at all. But he also made it clear that Clay Helton is going to, quote, stand on his record. And Dave Roberts said specifically to me, if he beats Notre Dame and he beats UCLA and they finish strong, he'll be in, good, in quote, good stead. Um, <laughs> If wow, and that again, if it's not his decision to make, it's maybe not his. Uh, that statement doesn't carry full weight if he's not the guy that's ultimately going to you know deliver on the back end of that. But I, I think the but he's a, he's at least in those rooms. He's at least in those rooms that are having those conversations. Ex- exactly, and and I think that any conversation, and we talked about this in the previous podcast of, of Clay trying to persuade the new AD or sell himself and the future of his program probably needs to include a win over Notre Dame and a Pac-12 title. And that makes it a really compelling case if that's able to play out. Again, if they lose this game and, and they're 9-3 and three at best, I don't know how overwhelming that is, even with a Pac-12 South title. So that's why this game's huge. Let's start there, Max. What's your thought on, on what this means in the big picture? Yeah, I think uh, you're spot on in terms of I think this game – probably holds the most weight in terms of, okay, which one game kind of turns the tide one way or another. I think there's an element where Washington was not as big uh, of a tide turner, for lack of a better term, because I I feel like as an FC fan, you almost expected that that was going to be a loss, as bad as it is to say, just because kind of the respect you have for Washington versus this Notre Dame game. It's rivalry. You never want to lose to your rivals. And you pair that with the fact you already lost to Washington, the fact that you could go back-to-back weeks losing. That's tough. I just think, I mean, when you look at it in a vacuum, you talk about if you beat Notre Dame and you're 4-2 and two with wins against Utah and Notre Dame, that's pretty good. I know it's SC and we're supposed to be undefeated in the whole deal, but 4-2, and two, that, that's, that's respectable. I think you go the other way and you lose to Notre Dame and you're 3-3, three and three, you're a 500 ball club at halfway point. Like the narratives completely change. And I think 
Um, even if it's just a matter of one game in one week, I think, man, uh, just, yeah, how pivotal the narratives can be. And then when you kind of look forward, I mean, the following weeks for SC are Arizona and Colorado. You'd like to think those are two two wins, two solid wins. Then you get into Oregon. And then after that, I think the schedule is very favorable as well. So there's a scenario where I think, um, I mean, this, this game is pivotal. Even if SC were to win out and have Pac-12 success, I think – the, the the mood is going to be so down after a lot after a potential loss with this that it's going to be uh, going to be tough to overcome. But yeah, a, a, a huge game, and uh, it it feels pretty similar to kind of how uh, how uh, Ed Orgeron's was in 2013. I mean, you talk about had some success, had had a loss, and it kind of came down to a rivalry game. Could be uh, could be something similar for uh, for this program as well. Interesting point. Interesting point. And, and, and the other point you make that I totally agree with is. Like, yeah, the aftermath, if they lose this game and they're 3-3, three and three, it's just going to be hard to recover the rest of the way because there's not another game to move the needle like this, you know? Obviously, you want to beat UCLA, but UCLA is so down. Like, even if you finish strong, what what is, like, really swaying people? A lot of people are going to think, oh. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if you... If you walk through the, the the rest of the schedule, I mean, okay, you got Notre Dame, Arizona, Colorado. I think we should win those games. Like uh, you're not you're not pumped on those teams. Oregon's going to be a tough test, but I mean, you get it done. I believe that's a home game, if I remember right. Arizona State. I'm not nearly as high on Arizona State as the rest of the country is. I do not like their offense. I think their offensive line is awful. Uh, all right, check that. I'm not. Their offense is respectable, but their offensive line is not good at all. And that's tough with a, uh, a true freshman quarterback. And then Cal's on their backup quarterback. Quarterback, and you have UCLA, who's the worst team in the conference. So, I mean, it, it's a favorable back end. You just got to get through this one mega freaking championship game against Notre Dame. Yeah, and, and it seems unfair to say, well, one game's going to determine uh, so much, but it's not one game. We're, we're at, in this place for a reason. They're 8-9 since the start of last season. That's why Clay Helton's in the hot seat. That's why these conversations exist. That's why this dialogue is ever-present. Um, at this point, yeah, this game now becomes that important because of where they're at. And and like we just talked about, like you just said, like if, if they lose this game and finish strong, people are just going to say, well, they won the games they were supposed to, but USC is supposed to be able to, to win the big games too, and they're not doing that. So it's going to be really hard to recover and make a compelling case without this game. I, we're going to get into the matchup very soon, and um, I'm going to do less talking. Max is going to do more because he has the best insight here. But – I want to start by getting his insight on this rivalry and what it actually means to the players. Because we know what it means to fans. We know how much rivalries mean to fans. I always wonder, and wherever I've been, whether it's at Florida covering Florida, Florida State, Florida, Georgia, I I love trying to get real insight from players on how much does this actually matter to you. Max, as a player, what does the Notre Dame game mean to you and your teammates? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, um, I mean, it, when you're in the mind of the players, I mean, think about it. A lot of us are kind of 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. Like, you don't really have a whole grasp, a full grasp on, like, tradition and, like, kind of what your dads went through and all that stuff. And I think a lot of that might get at, at times get blown out of proportion. But there's something with this Notre Dame week that you feel that. You feel that as an 18, 19, 20-year-old kid, kind of the tradition that backs this. And I think there's something cool just the fact that um, – I mean, this is like the one rivalry that is not confined by geographical location or conference or anything like that. And as a player, 
when you go across the the country to the Midwest, you and you're you, they'll uh, the team will if they haven't changed since I, I was there, they'll stay in Michigan in like small town Michigan. It's like John Baxter's hotel he went to as a kid. And there's a fun fact for listeners. Um, like on uh, on vacation, that was always the running joke. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, it, it yeah yeah it just it, it feels different than a Pac-12 game. And then I think uh, I think when you when you when I look back on college football as a young kid, the games you think of are like Ohio State, Michigan, like watching on your on your couch, and like USC, Notre Dame, just traditional powers, traditional uniforms, big time players, and I think historically this game has had a huge significance on uh, the success of one team or the other, like championship wise. And I think as of late, since Brian Kelly's been there, uh, it always feels like one team is down and the other team's up, which is an interesting dynamic. But by and large, there, it seems like there's always some championship element at stake and that's again the case this year i mean notre dame's gonna be right there um but yeah i think uh if you feel a tradition it feels different than a pac-12 game there's something south bend is an incredible place to play i think there's something to be something to be said about just being on their campus walking in that stadium it feels kind of historic i guess you could say and i think for a lot of these guys they're recruited by both sc and notre dame i know my recruiting class there was a good bunch of that so Two uh, two high high profile programs and uh, a, a big time matchup, obviously. Well, if if you're a fan of college football at all, you you just have to appreciate the uniqueness of this historical rivalry and that these two schools that are so far apart geographically and aren't tied by a conference have played each other for this long. It's it's just it's 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 really unmatched and special in the in the scope of college football. And even though, as you all know, I've only been out here for a year and a half, like it's not lost on me at all. Like this, I'm so looking forward to to being in that stadium and seeing this game play there. And it just it, it's really a direct tie and throwback to um, to cultural nostalgia. Yeah, I, I also I also think there's an element of like, and you you spent time in the SEC, so feel free to shoot me down. But I think a lot of times. Um, uh, like with games, it's kind of all right. This is your fan base versus their fan base. With this, it feels like it's the whole institution versus the other entire institution. When you talk about the premier, uh, premier private school on the West Coast and the premier private school academic school on the in the Midwest, sure. it just feels like people kind of get up for this game, and that probably ties into the geographical locations where it's kind of you don't have people kind of. I mean, you always kind of hear people like in the SEC, like, oh, my next-door neighbor roots for Georgia, so I don't talk to him kind of thing. Well, here, like, they're so far apart that you almost have pride in the fact that hey, I'm a, a Midwest Notre Dame guy versus the West Coast SC field. So I think uh, it just allows people to, I don't know, really really back their school and obviously two super, super strong uh, academic uh, n- uh, networks and alumni. I know that was a big uh, – recruiting pitch I, I unofficial notre dame and the fact that you talk about alumni uh bases i mean you talk about notre dame michigan and sc those guys are in a class of their own and uh yeah you kind of feel that in the football game as well no it's, it's a great point so many guys that usc goes after do overlap with notre dame targets that they're constantly battling and recruiting um an interesting one right now is, is Marquis Stepp, who was committed to Notre Dame for a while, uh, had already decommitted and, and then found his way to USC. So he had a taste of Marquis. Uh, it's your guy. You, you <laughs> knew we weren't getting through a podcast without hearing about Marquis. Um, but I, I, I want to ask you this before we get, last question before we get to the matchup. You know, 
of course, all we're going to hear from the players, the coaches, is it's another game in terms of preparation and everything. But was there anything different on Notre Dame week in terms of either the message from Clay Helton or the, the previous coaches you were under or just the way they handled this game? And, and did they try and build it up or did they, they, they try and, and counteract that and, 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 and not build it up? Yeah, it always cracks me up when head coaches are like, oh, it's just another week. Like, it doesn't matter who we're playing. That's kind of like their offseason pitch. And then Notre Dame comes and it's like, big game, that kind of thing. And you're playing the fight song. And it, like, clearly feels like a different week. And I know previously SC's left a day earlier. Like, uh, instead of leaving on the Friday, they live on, th- uh, on Thursday. I don't believe they uh, – th- they, they didn't do that this no. year. But they, yeah. they've done that in the past. So, like, that part feels different. Uh, but I think in, in terms of uh, – yeah, what was different? I, I mean, you, you talk about they'll, they'll bring in the, the shillelagh, uh, the trophies. That feels different. I also think you, 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 you go into the database of highlights and you, you play the bush push and you play Matt Leinert's uh, audible fade ball down the sideline to Dwayne Jarrett on the left-hand side. Uh, you, you play some of those memorable moments and you kind of bring up the historic nature of this game that you you just aren't doing that versus Arizona State or Arizona or something like that and so I think uh there's an element of kind of you you realize your piece in this whole perspective thing that like hey this has been going on for a long 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 time and it's going to keep going on for a long long time but like right here right now this is an important piece and that way you kind of talk about the game is just different than most games uh, week in and week out well let's turn to the matchup now and um, I'm going to lean on you heavily here because you have the eye for these things. Take us – let's start with the Notre Dame offense. What stands out to you about the matchup there USC's facing on that side of the ball? Yeah, I think it's it's got to be Ian Book. Um, and he hasn't necessarily blown the doors out of the water this year, but I think when you're an SC fan and you look back on some of the, some of the years um, in recent memory, they've had some quarterback troubles and quarterback controversies and guys kind of – getting rotated in and out and Everett Golson transferring and Malik Zaire transferring and I mean Brandon Brandon Wimbush transferring like you've had a lot of kind of moving pieces and it feels like they've kind of found their guy in Ian Book and uh, like I said hasn't necessarily blown the doors off the water or out of the water but he's a good quarterback Um, you can tell that that program's confident in him and I just know when I was there there was elements of okay they might have to get creative and kind of tricky with their offense versus now no I mean Notre Dame's just doing what they do. They have a passing attack. They have a running attack. Um, a lot of it's kind of the same, right? They're going to have a couple of athletes outside and they're big up front um, and going to be physical up front. But I think the biggest thing, if you're an SC fan walking into this game, and I, I mean, if you if you follow college football, obviously you know who Ian Book is, but it's just a different vibe than some of the other uh, Notre Dame offenses that we have seen in the, in, in, uh, in the past. I think Deshaun Kaiser is obviously an exception for that. He's, uh, he's an NFL quarterback. But outside of those guys in recent memory, uh, Notre Dame's been a little choppy at the quarterback spot. Definitely not the case with Ian Book. What should USC be most concerned about with him? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, you got to pick your poison, right? Uh, in terms of runner-pass game, I envision SC is going to be kind of playing straight up and uh, trust their defensive line. Brian Kelly gave a lot of prep, uh, a lot of praise to the SC defense, um, he said it's the best defense he's seen since uh, his time at Notre Dame, which is saying a lot. And I think that gets into the fact that I believe it's probably that best defensive front he's seen. Um, so I, I think what they got to uh, be concerned with is just the fact that uh, can Ian Book beat him with his arm? And so, uh, I think in, in years past, they've been able to kind of 
trust their receivers out wide and maybe pack the box a little bit more. Not necessarily the case this year, um, but got to prevent the big play. I think that's one thing that, uh, I mean, in any game, but especially on the road, uh, if they get big plays early, that is crucial. I mean, I can remember that uh, when I was there in 2015, uh, first play of the game, I believe it was, I throw a threw a post, uh, Deshaun Kaiser to Will Fuller, two NFL guys, over Adoree Jackson, another NFL guy, like first play of the game, like boom, home run hit right there, and we were playing catch-up from the rest of the game. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, SC fans will remember that. That was, that, was, uh, that was a tough one. I believe we lost that game, if I remember right. Um, but, uh, yeah, limit big plays, and I think uh, I envision Clancy trying to be straight up and trusting his D-line. Now, uh- Ian Book has some mobility too, though. He has 160 rushing yards this year. Obviously, QBs with any mobility have, have given uh, USC fits when plays kind of break down. Is that an element that you see possibly coming into play with him? Yeah, I mean, just like anything, I feel like, uh, he, I mean, at certain times it can come into play, but it, it reminds me a little bit of Deshaun Kaiser, a little bit. Um, and I think. Kaiser's obviously a bigger bodied guy. No one would ever call him a dual threat guy, but he'd pull it and run a little bit. He'd, he'd, he'd keep you honest with, uh, with his legs, and I think Ian Book's probably a little bit better than that. But we're not talking uh, Everett Golson or uh, a Brandon Wimbush like, like we've seen. I, I don't put his mobility up there. Um, definitely a guy that wants to throw the ball but can get, uh, get free with his legs. I just. I think the whole uh, SC having fits with, with, with dual threat quarterbacks, I think that's kind of just the nature of dual threat quarterbacks in general a little bit. Like, that's what they do. They get outside the pocket. And uh, if SC and Clancy are going to bring heat and bring pressure, they got to make sure to uh, kind of stay within their lanes and all that. But uh, in terms of walking into this game, I don't think uh, Ian Buck's mobility is a, is a huge concern for me. Okay. Fair, fair. Um, even still, though, if it's not the quarterback, USC has still been vulnerable off the edges and Clancy and defensive line coach Chad Cow there we go I've really been practicing that one I think that was like 99% of the way there Um, both talked this week about how that was a major focal point of the bye week is is solving that issue because they are so stout up the middle as we talked about in uh, ranking the most valuable players earlier this week we touted Marlon Tweepelotu and Jay Tufeli uh, teams have countered by attacking the edges and and, and moving things outside. And and Chad K uh, really emphasized that they've been working on it all week. They were even still making tweaks Wednesday. He said uh, we were working on one of our third down pieces, and I just didn't like it. And so we on the fly, like making a halftime adjustment, we changed things, went out and and did it differently. And so they're very cognizant that that's an area of weakness for them so far, and then they're working on that. Uh, tell us about the rest of that. Notre Dame backfield and and what you see in terms of uh, a challenge for USC's defense. Yeah, I think with running backs, it's kind of more of the same year in and year out. I think that's kind of the beauty of, of, of Notre Dame. Uh, I mean, they're not going to necessarily reinvent the wheel week into week out. I think your point right there about uh, teams attacking the edge, I envision Notre Dame will try to do the same thing. Uh, they utilize kind of that outside zone a lot, but to, there's an element of that, that that's okay if you're an SC fan because I think your SC's so strong up the middle um, with a, with the uh, uh, J Tufele Marlon Tupelo too that if you have to alloc- have to allocate more resources kind of to protect that edge and put more pressure on a Marlon Tupelo too I'm cool with that and a lot of fans might be hearing that and saying well they're gonna gash us and uh, Notre Dame's so big that like we can't we got to stop the run first I'm I'm 
I, I'm with you there, but I, I do envision that. I mean, Notre Dame's going to probably try to attack the outside, like like uh, like we saw. I mean, Utah did a bunch, and then uh, a little bit with Washington as well. So I think this Notre Dame team, it, talent wise, uh, talent wise, I'm trying to. How do they compare? I mean, um, probably better up front than Washington, but but skill wise, uh, skill wise, probably comparable to Washington. I don't, I don't think there's a huge gap. I just think once again, and this is this is going to be nothing groundbreaking to to fans, but it's just Notre Dame. They're physical as all hell, and I think that's something that that SC's got to be uh, got to be gearing up for uh, for the, for this week. Good thing they had a bye week because they, they come, come into this game healthy. Yeah, well, speaking of of physical and, and size and stuff, uh, Chad Case said this, he thought this is the biggest offensive line he's seen since he coached at Wisconsin, and <laughs> it, it, it is a large, that's Notre Dame for you. Yeah, it's it, it's a large bunch. It's, it's an experienced bunch. Everyone but their center was a returning starter up front. Uh, yeah, they have not been an overwhelming rushing team. I think they rank like 80th nationally, that 160 yards a game. It, it's it's not been a dominant rushing attack, but it's definitely going to be an interesting matchup. Um, is, yeah, is there- yeah, yeah, an interesting matchup. I think, uh, I mean, the two guys that are kind of their studs are, are Tony Jones Jr. and Chase Claypool. I mean, Claypool's a guy that uh, he's played played a good good amount of ball for him. But to me, I mean, Seems like Notre Dame kind of has the same feel at receiver every year. Maybe that's just me, but kind of athletic, athletic, kind of little rangy guys, and their backs are, are, are strong guys. I mean, there's no, there's no, uh, no secret why they were recruiting a guy like Marquis Step. Kind of fits in that mold. Um, but in terms of groundbreaking um, playmakers, I don't know if I necessarily see that. Uh, Ian Book's good, but that's kind of my, uh, that's, that's how I wrap up their skill players on the offensive side. So, and this might overlap with some of the stuff I already covered, but just summing it up, if there's one key that you have for the USC defense this week that you think is essential for the Trojans to have a chance to win this game, what's the key defensively? Yeah, I think it's stopping the run. And I know that's the, the cliche one, but when you look at how SC's defense is built, they're built kind of really strong up front. And so if they're getting broken down up front defensive-wise, then the whole thing's going to crumble. I need SC's defensive line to be great. They have been great, but don't no, no easy yards. Make it tough on them. I know I've given my respect to Ian Book, but I would like to see him throw, force him to win this game. I think when, SC, or when Notre Dame gets really rolling, it's when they can run at will or have success with the run, and then the pass game kind of fl- flows off of that. So, I mean... We, 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 the, earlier in this week, we kind of went through some questions with this offense or with, with, with SC's team in general. One question that we had, none of us had and no SC fan has right now is the defensive line. So I, I want them to step up in the run game, get it done, and then uh, take some pressure off of this young secondary who's been playing well. But uh, stopping the run is key for, uh, for, for SC to start. It, just hit on the secondary real fast. USC is going to have Elijah Griffin back at cornerback. They're going to have Talanoa Fonga back at safety. And uh, one storyline to monitor is how they rotate those cornerbacks. Greg Burns said Wednesday that if they all get an even uh, 66% of the snaps, he's done a good job. I don't know that that's my expectation. What's yours for, for how they handle those three guys, Elijah Griffin, Isaac Taylor Stewart, and Chris Steele at corner? Yeah, I think if you talk about one atmosphere all year long, it, I mean, the, the the most daunting one is probably this Notre Dame atmosphere. So I think uh, I'd keep my eye on if, if one guy keeps getting picked on early, uh, if they try to swap them out there, and then vice versa, if one guy's doing well and, 
even if it's a Chris Steele who's in there playing well, maybe there's an element of Greg Burns that, hey, don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. He's playing well. We're good there. I think uh, the, the atmosphere and the environment here can't be uh, kind of underplayed, uh, especially when you talk about a young secondary and especially kind of passion on an earlier point of mine if they do get beat early which hasn't necessarily happened that much this year how do they react mentally all those factors I would uh would, would be thinking of but I I envision it kind of being the the, the same as 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 how uh, how things have gone um in terms of I mean you got uh Griffin and I mean ITS steal a little bit but then obviously some guys got some reps last year or last week that uh are new on the scene but uh I think that kind of It'll be interesting to see if one guy gets beat deep, kind of how they play that, just because the, yeah. the mental, the mental kind of landscape of this game could, uh, could, could be a big factor. Well, this, this is a natural segue to the flip sides of the ball and talk about a young player and how he's going to handle the environment and the atmosphere, and that's freshman quarterback Keaton Slovis, who, after missing most of the last two games with that concussion and the bye week, hasn't played a game now in, in several weeks will be back in the starting lineup, making only his second road start. The first one clearly didn't go well at BYU, had the three interceptions. Graham Harrell, though, Graham Harrell, no concerns about Keaton Slovis on the road. He, he really dismissed that notion, said, I really don't think that his struggles at BYU were, were because it was on the road. I think he just threw a bad pick early, shook it off, and had another one, and that kind of got into his head a little bit, and just he just had a bad day, which any quarterback's going to have, especially a freshman. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think uh, I agree with him. Um, I mean, it, it'd be something if I mean, playing a, his first start was in the Coliseum, kind of primetime game. I mean, that that's a pretty even if it is a home game, that's a pretty big stage, daunting stage might be a word you use. So going to Provo daytime game, like I don't I don't see uh, him getting or making the moment too big. And everything you hear about Keaton Slovis is he's wired the right way. He kind of gets it. I mean, kind of shrugging things off, never getting too high, never getting too low kind of thing. So I'm right with Graham. Uh, I don't I don't think he, the moment's too big. However, I don't care who you are. You could be Trevor Lawrence walking into this game. At Notre Dame is a tough place to play. Um, it's a very hard place to play. I think it, it could get to any quarterback, especially if you get down, especially if you – maybe have a turnover to start the game. So um, that's something that I'll keep my eye on. Um, but it, you're, 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 the, the way you open this is, is, is spot on. I mean, it's, the kid's only it's, – it's only his second road start. It's going to be hard. He's a true freshman. We kind of lose track of the fact that, okay, yeah, we are at week six, week seven, but this kid wasn't even supposed to play. Like, you kind of lose that a little bit. But um, all the talent in the world, obviously, I think it's going to be as crucial as ever – to make sure that uh, SC gets off to a hot start. They did not last week. That was the first week they did not get off to a hot start offensively. If that if that uh, same recipe happens this week, SC could be in trouble. I don't think I've ever known a coach who was higher on an individual player than Graham Harrell is on Keaton Slovis. And it's, it's, it's kind of fun when we talk to him about these things and just how, like, I don't know what the word is. He's just like... He's like, I, I know why you're asking me this, but I've, I've told you, I've made it pretty clear that I, I'm very high on Keaton Slovis, and that's not going to change based on any circumstance. And that, that was. And you better, of- you better believe that make <laughs> that means the world of a difference to uh, to Keaton. Like he hears that stuff, you that's better a- believe it. He, he, the fact that he knows his offensive coordinators in his corner that's huge. That's a great point, and and I, I too am very high on Keaton Slovis. I, I really am. I just I just have a little more uncertainty. I, I want to see it kind of happen more 
in these situations. But but long term, overall, I'm I'm sky high on this potential. This will be a very telling game, though. I I think the one area that I may worry about most, and and Harold did acknowledge this, is is just rust. Again, he hasn't played in. It'd be almost a month because he, he will have missed all, most of two games plus the bye week, and then it was a week prior when he last played. So he hasn't been in a situation, in any situation like this, in a while. As a quarterback, and, and you can speak to this more than I can, obviously. Is there anything to that? I mean, not having game reps in that long does that have any carryover effect? Yeah, um, I, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't. The reason I'm hesitating is I can't directly relate to that. But in terms of uh, taking yeah taking time off and then I think more so the biggest hurdle is just the fact that last time he was out there he took a big shot by an NFL defensive tackle and didn't come back and then now he's going on a tough road environment kind of how does he handle that mentally but like we talked about I don't think it's too big but those little hurdles especially when he's running out there and throwing his his first pass those are things he's gonna have to get after but or get over but I don't think it's that big of a deal uh, I mean he's He's shown the a no flinch mentality when he was his number was called when JT went down. So I don't envision that uh, that being a huge issue. Okay, well let's talk about the matchup he's facing. Um, take away the environment, the atmosphere, and let's get down to X's nose football. What is the challenge for Keaton Slovis and this USC passing attack this week? Yeah, it's going to be up front. Um, I mean, Notre Dame's Notre Dame. Uh, they're going to have NFL defense alignment on on that side of the ball. I don't know if they're as yeah, I don't think they're as talented as when I was there. I mean, when I was there, they had uh, – I'm not going, to be come up, not going to be able to come up with the names. I mean, they, they had Tewitt. They had uh, Knicks, I remember there. They had, like, kind of NFL defense alignment uh, across the board, like surefire draft pick type guys. Um, it, but I, I don't think that's necessarily the case this year. Um, but a, a stout defense. They've been playing really well. I know uh, they fired their offensive coordinator, I believe it was either last year or the year before. And, the, and this new guy's got the um, got these boys rolling. I know there was kind of concerns with the Notre Dame defense. Uh, Would have been my, like that, that 2015 or 16-ish time frame. Those concerns are no more. Their defense is rolling. Um, I believe they're holding teams to kind of under 20 points a game, if I remember right. And uh, this is a stout group, a, a, a tough challenge. But not insurmountable. I, I don't. I don't watch the film and see that. I think there's plays to be made, and I also think Notre Dame hasn't necessarily seen uh, an attack like this. They've seen Georgia and did solid against them defensively, but in terms of the air raid attack, I don't know if Notre Dame's seen that, and uh, it'll be a good test for them. Well, that's that's the question: is is do we get the air raid attack? And over the bye week, I asked Graham Harrell if he thought that what BYU did, what Washington did, although nuanced and different, but essentially selling out against the pass to a large degree had become a blueprint. And he said, I mean, I'm sure that teams that already do that, have that in their package, will use it. But teams that don't do that aren't just going to start doing it when they play us. Uh, from what you know about Notre Dame, and, and, and maybe this is, this is hard to forecast or predict, do you expect this becomes a heavy passing attack for USC, or do you expect they're, they're really – forced to compensate on the ground as we've seen in a couple games yeah and, and to me when I hear you say that uh like Graham's right I don't think teams are going to install something new in this week but I think most teams have some sort of kind of drop eight soft package at least something uh in Notre Dame I mean they've got the talent they've got the scheme I think in years past they, they've been able to drop eight I envision that that's going to be uh, a, a similar deal. I think as a defensive coordinator, you'd almost be foolish not to start out with this and at least say, hey, has SC figured out that they can beat us? And 
uh, or ha- beat the opposing defense when they do drop eight. So I, I would fully expect Notre Dame to to come out in some sort of drop eight, or even if it's uh, just a four down rush and kind of your, your, your soft in coverage, I fully expect that to be the case. But I think there's also something to be said about this Notre Dame defense is very talented and they believe in themselves and they know that, hey, defensively we're great. Is there an element of, hey, we shouldn't switch things up? I'm sure they'll go back and forth between this a little bit, uh, just like Washington did, just like Utah did, where it's, hey, we're a good defense too. We're going to stick to some of our core principles, but we'd also be foolish not to at least incorporate some of this drop eight. I would expect to see something similar. And the key for SC is they got to find some sort of big chunk plays in the run game. That's how you're going to get these defenses out of it because these defenses, when you when, when, when Vi or Steven or Marquise goes for four or five yards, the mentality is, all right, we'll hang on. We'll, we'll hang on. You go four or five yards down the entire field, and then we'll, 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 uh, we'll make you make a mistake, and then you're in trouble. For them, for, uh, for defenses to get out of it, SC's got to get those 10, 12, 15, even more so chunk plays if teams get super soft in the box and only have four or five guys in the box, they got to make them pay. All right, so overall, um, Notre Dame's 4-1. and one. Their only loss, as you mentioned, was on the road at Georgia, who's the number three team in the country right now. It was a very competitive game, a uh, six-point game. Their wins have not been close. They've, they've won every game by at least 15 points, um, including the, against a ranked Virginia team. And I haven't seen a lot of other tough competition outside those two games. What chance do you think USC has to actually win this game on the road? Yeah, I don't like the chances, to be honest, Ryan. Um, I think Notre Dame is a – I mean, they're a 9 or 10 team in the country right now with a very hard-fought loss at Georgia, the number three team in the country. I mean, their resume is pretty good. And Virginia, I know I, I still got a little bit of ACC roots in me, and people were excited about the, uh, the that Virginia squad and that game, and they handled those guys – uh, there even was some excitement around that Louisville team for a little bit that they uh, took advantage of week one. Um, but I don't, I don't, I'm not pumped on this matchup, to be honest. I think uh, the key is, is going to be what, what, what I talked about. If SC can be stout and opportunistic on defense, uh, create something there. I think those, the, the turnovers that have not happened, that we have not seen, if those happen this game, that'll be crucial. Um, and then starting fast. I think I point to those first two drives. It was super successful the first four weeks for SC, and it got them in a rhythm a little bit. And maybe they slowed down later in the game, but it at least allowed them to start on the right foot. SC did ne- never got started on the right foot against Washington, and it, it felt like uh, – not that they never had a chance, but they never got in their rhythm, and, and that was that was crucial because of those first two drives, and obviously that Matt Fink pink, so Matt Fink pick, excuse me, and so uh, yeah, Keen's gonna have to have to show up big, but uh, not a favorable matchup for sure. Yeah, I, you mentioned that I, I think USC has to come up with some fortuitous plays defensively, has to force a turn, turnover or two, and and really swing momentum and and field position. That's going to be key to me that's kind of offsetting the difference between these two teams right now. That said, I always feel that this USC team is talented enough to be in any game. And I, that shouldn't even be a controversial statement. I mean, we've seen it so far. Yep. Like, like Their talent has, has not been a problem to this point. It's been mistakes. It's been the three picks at BYU, the three picks at Washington, the 89-yard run they were gashed on by Washington. 
I feel the same way during this game. I, I think things have to go really right across the board, but I don't think it's a stretch that USC can be in this game uh, most of the way. I'm with you, though. I, I, I wouldn't bet on them winning. Uh, I think most advantages point to Notre Dame. Uh, being home, Clay Helton's teams have struggled on the road uh, of late, last couple of years. We've talked about that before. It's, for whatever reason, it's just, it's just been a thing. And this USC team has not totally gotten out of its own way enough. It's, it's, it's been its own, own worst enemy at times. And, and I don't know that I can uh, expect that's not happen again or, or be the case. So we'll do predictions. Uh, Max, how do you see it? Yeah, let's see. I, I like how you open that, too. I, I envision SC kind of being in this game. I just think Notre Dame's muscle will kind of allow them to pull away. I'll go uh, – I'll go um, 30, uh, 34 Notre Dame, and I'll go, uh, I'll go 20, I'll go 34, 24 Notre Dame. Okay. I've got, uh, I've got Notre Dame 27, 24. That's just, uh, just a gut, just a gut guess. I I think Keaton Slovis is going to play well. I think we're going to come out of this game feeling even more assured about his future and his potential and his potential for the rest of the season. I just don't know if enough of the things we've talked about come to fruition. But I I think we get into the fourth quarter and it's still a pretty interesting game Saturday night. Who do you think the leading receiver is going to be? I I think Michael Pittman's due for another Pittman game. Uh, I mean, obviously no team is going to overlook him. He's going to be accounted for. But having Keaton Slovis back, I just think is a, is a better passer than Matt Fink, even though Matt Fink delivered Pittman his, his biggest game and went to him every other pass. Uh, I, I just think that connection is going to reemerge this week, and I, I think Pittman's going to be a huge factor. And, and if you remember, the last couple of games Slovis was healthy, he was going to Pittman a ton too. He had a major usage rate over the last two and a half games they were together. So I, I think that connection reconnects. Love it. Yep. Can't go wrong with any of those receivers. That's something we'll never debate on. So, yeah, no, I think that uh, throwing to Pittman, Tyler Vaughns, I mean, getting those guys in, in motion, having a few big plays by those guys will, uh, will, will serve USC well. But, hey, I hope that we come back next week and I was dead face wrong and SC's 4-2, and two, huge win, and we got a favorable rest of schedule to, uh, to attack moving forward. Well, the good news for people listening is that we've so often been wrong on our predictions, at least. So it's very possible. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> great, great breakdown overall. Uh, fun podcast, Max, as always. And we'll be back next Tuesday dissecting what happened. Sweet. Thanks, Ryan. Talk, talk soon.